0: Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Wednesday, July twenty seventh, twenty twenty two. I'm John Hortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Media commentary columnist Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. I had to wait for my prompt. <laughs> Sorry about that. I am, I am, I am off speed today. And associate editor and author of The Rise of the New Puritans. Available to you at all fine booksellers, virtual and actual. Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Guys, New Hampshire Democrats choose Pete Buttigieg as their candidate for 2024 over Joe Biden. That is the University of New Hampshire poll. They gave seven or eight choices to voters. Buttigieg came out first with 17 percent, Biden at 16 percent, Kamala Harris at 6 percent. CNN's National Poll of Democrats says that 74 percent of them do not want Biden to run again. Uh, His polling average number is down to 37.2, which is lower than Trump. At 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 the low point of his presidency, which was a Charlottesville. Uh holy cow! Holy cow! I don't. We've never seen anything like this before. Now we've never had a presidency like Biden's before, and it follows a presidency of the sort we've never had before. We've never had a seventy-nine-year-old president before. We've never had a seventy-nine-year-old president in the middle of an inflationary spiral before. We've never had a seventy-nine 79- Year-old president who pulled out of Afghanistan unilaterally before, so there's a lot of unprecedented things that have gone on to lead to this unprecedented result. But um, I woo, youch uh, Thoughts?
1: I'm extremely annoyed at the CNN poll. Um, they they have bastardized the methodology in in, in an inexplicable way. So. Um, Harry Enten's formulation, and we need to get him on here to explain himself. Uh, His formulation is of
0: CNN, CNN. but he is there. He is. He He didn't conduct the poll. He's an analyst.
1: Yes. Um, Yes. People. It's like when people are like, I don't want to talk about a Fox poll because I think Tucker Carlson conducted it. Um, So CNN, SSRS, they didn't do job approval rating in this, in this survey, which is valuable because Enten's formulation is if Biden's still getting 70% approval among Democrats He's not going to incur a primary challenge, and he's most likely going to be renominated. Um, so we don't know what the job approval rating is in this poll. But they asked Democrats, who do you think the Democratic Party should nominate as their party's candidate for president in 2024, Joe Biden or a different candidate? Came out three quarters against Joe Biden, a quarter four. And they break it down by men, by women, by closely following January 6th, by not following January 6th. Uh, By age, insofar as it's possible, the the sample's kind of small, your political leanings, your college education, your income, everything that's important, except race. They break it down by white people and people of color. And there's very little distinction between the two. But that's critically important to know, to be able to analyze the political situation Joe Biden finds himself in to know what Hispanics think of him. What African-Americans think of him, what Asians and Pacific Islanders think of him, and the fact that they don't even break that down. Maybe they can't. Maybe the samples are too small, but the samples are too small to break it down by age. 34, 18, 35, 49, 50, 64. They didn't have enough. They didn't have a sample big enough to break it down by age. So, So don't break it down like that. Or just give us the the raw data. It's just it's 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 less okay. valuable to the point okay. of not being valuable. So we're at mad.
0: All. So we're mad at the we're mad at the way the poll is conducted because they're trying to I don't aggregate. know if it's a
1: valuable finding because they don't have a sample big enough to
0: justify this. Here's why it's a valuable finding because it dovetails with the University of New Hampshire poll. Now, granted, New Hampshire is not reflective of the country as a whole. Among other things, it is way more white than the country as a whole. Uh Nonetheless, um, it 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 jibes with other pieces of information we've gotten piecemeal over the last month, that uh, if Biden is getting, if 70% of Democrats say that they are, you know, they approve of Jiden, <laughs> Jiden's, Biden's, uh, you know, how he is conducting himself as president, that also doesn't mean they want him to run again. It doesn't mean they'll vote against him. It does mean that that elusive and hard to factor in election quality called enthusiasm, Biden has a deep crisis when it comes to democratic enthusiasm for him. Now that is that can be overcome Uh, it has been overcome before, uh, Republicans, people don't really remember this. Republicans in 2016 were not enthusiastic about Trump. Trump won nonetheless. Biden could win in 2024 with an unenthusiastic democratic, uh, base or democratic voters in general. Mm -hmm. Um, but when you get a lack of enthusiasm combined with, uh, Uh, An issue set that is um, unbelievably threatening and a White House that is proving itself astonishingly maladroit at managing itself in the in, you know, on a daily basis in the face of this kind of low level crisis. I just I don't know. I mean, we're in we're in new territory here. We're in new political territory here. There is every reason to think that Biden shouldn't run again even if he had 80% approval. Because he's 79 years old, he will be 82 when he is when he is sworn in in 2025 if he were to win in 2024. That is too old to be president. Everybody knows that. If he were the best president in the world, people would might still have hesitancy or difficulty dealing with that fact, add in failure, policy failure, programmatic failure, and um, image failure, Uh, failure to make it appear as though he is competent to do the job. I don't know where this go. I just we are we're we're flying blind now.
2: Well, and it's, also it, it should be noted he also has not cultivated and he could have made a different choice for his vice president. You know, when he was running, he had you know, he satisfied a certain box he had to tick and chose Kamala Harris, who, who you know, had obviously flamed out early in, in her own bid. Um, and she's been an absolutely miserably poorly performing vice president and now granted the role is is a difficult one to do well in in any case given the way it's structured but she there's no obvious successor um there's no obvious way he hasn't even attempted to kind of boost her at all lately like remember for a while he was bringing her to everything and it was kind of like you know we're a co-presidency she's involved in all the big decisions that petered out pretty quickly so there's no obvious successor even if democrats agreed it was time for him to go gracefully after one term and so the i mean we've talked about this like uh, but Buttigieg and kamala harris fighting each other would still not be all that satisfactory for a lot of voters neither one of them is is necessarily going to be able to garner a majority of democratic voters
3: see but that the that to that's the other interesting side of this of the new hampshire poll why Buttigieg? you know i wouldn't have predicted that given the list of names i'm not sure who i would have predicted but that that does surprise me so what does it say about what the what the democrats are want and are responding to um i think it's a sort of he's he has the least sort of shtick attached to him He projects confidence and competence more than confidence. I meant to say competence regardless of, you know, I think his his job currently is a little ridiculous and he's not, you know, but he, he, he was impressive in in many ways uh, when he was running. Um, I think it's interesting.
1: This is why I need a breakdown of race because Okay, we, so he he was really unpopular. New yeah, he, he doesn't was, perform in South Carolina. No, he doesn't. So yeah. Black in voters don't like him. Forget,
0: yeah. forget that Buttigieg is the top line. Forget everything except the Biden number: sixteen percent of the voters in New Hampshire, who, of course, the Democratic voters, who, of course, did not pick Biden in 2020 either. Sixteen percent. He is the sitting president of the United States. 16 percent all you can say about buddha is he is the opposite of biden he is under 40 he is gay i <laughs> you know he is articulate uh he is calm he does not he's unflappable um and he's and he's more left-wing uh though you but know but he doesn't biden-
2: he He doesn't, sorry to interrupt, but he doesn't indulge in the woke speak that Kamala, unfortunately, has found herself constantly doing. I sent you guys that ridiculous clip of her introducing herself with her pronouns and the color of the outfit she was wearing, which is evidently for... Blind viewers. So which which is such a weird conceit that they now have to do this. So I mean, each person around the table at this meeting that was being televised spent 20 minutes describing themselves, you know, objectifying themselves in the in the search for, you know, appropriate wokeness. And he doesn't play that game quite Yeah, as... he does. I mean, he, he talks does about little, how the
1: roads aren't aren't racially equitable enough.
2: But he's savvier about it. He's not it's he not a, a constant, And that's not
1: entirely wrong he is either. very
0: I mean, he's... savvy. He is a very savvy. He did not put a foot wrong in his, he did as well as he possibly could have done in 2020. He was the mayor of South Bend, Indiana and he ended up in the top three or four, the top three, top four in the race for the presidency. The mayor of South Bend, Indiana a 37 year old gay guy he's male tracy he flick did. i'm telling you <laughs> he did extremely well he what he impressed people he impressed me as a performer i have you know i don't like anything that he stands for but impressive and a so contested democratic
1: looking, primary would be chaos and if the party has any control over its destiny it won't it happen there is well, no there, party well then that's the test there are it's not no joe parties. biden's popularity
0: there are no parties. There is a president who has lost the support of his party to some degree. If you cannot coalesce around the person in the White House, there is no coalescing. Hey, we don't have any
1: evidence no one will coalesce. Just
0: as you said earlier,
1: they'll vote for him if he runs. We have
0: evidence. We have evidence that they are not coalescing, That that the clotting factor that the party has hemophilia it will not clot around Joe Biden <laughs> it is bleeding around Joe Biden I mean I, I question, don't know what to so say. you're
1: saying that there will yeah. be a, that if Joe Biden runs he'll be challenged
0: I don't know what I'm saying let me put it this I way I don't see that you don't see him being challenged of course he'll be challenged no. you would be nuts one person one or two serious people are going to challenge him on the very simple grounds that he could drop dead on the campaign trail.
1: I mean, I'm not joking.
0: Yeah, you, the, the rigor of running basic
1: in a debate. And if the party is intact and there are parties, this is why there are parties, because the party, the Republican Party didn't allow primaries in 2020.
0: Yeah, because it, it had they a all president around it. whom it had coalesced. <laughs>
1: right. Well, no, the president no, hadn't. There might have been no, an unserious no. challenge. Hold on. Wait.
0: Trump spent the first two years of his presidency dro- basically nailing everyone in the party who represented a threat to him. He got Bob Corker out of the Senate. He got Jeff Flake out of the Senate. He scared the bejesus out of everybody running for office that he would go and turn his nozzle, his Twitter nozzle on them and, you know, and and hose them down. And so he scared out the possibility of a challenge. Who's scared of Joe Biden in the Democratic Party? Who is scared of Ron Klain? Who is scared that who I don't even know who the chairman of the DNC is, by the way, now that I think of it. First time maybe in my adult lifetime, I can't name the chairman of the, the DNC. Who Who's scared of him? If I don't even remember his name, there is no party. What there is, is a president around whom you can you know, circle the wagons
2: and there's not going to be any circling of the wagons. Well, this, I think, is why we keep hearing floated and and again and a bunch of stories this morning after Trump gave a speech in Washington last night, how desperate the Democrats are for Trump to run. And it's a desperation that in a way will help, you know, rally the troops around Biden because Biden is the only person who's defeated Trump. So this idea that no matter how doddering he is, no matter how incapable he is, and, and also that the, the the energy it will take, the stamina it will require, even of a perfectly healthy person to both run the country and run a presidential campaign at the same time is enormous. And he clearly doesn't have it in him. But they might rally around this idea that he beat him once, nobody wants him back, he's the guy. We just got to prop him up there. Um, I can see them making that choice. Um, but that's in some sense why they really want Trump to run, because that'll give him an easy out for defending a president who's who's just cratering in the polls.
0: I just um I think, like I say, we're, we're like, we're through the looking glass here and anything can happen. Um, but let, let's, let me mention another polling fact, which is that three polls over the last week have shown a recovery, a kind of surprising either recovery or turnaround in democratic fortunes in 2022. Um, and those are those are not like uh polls of these are polls being conducted by republicans so uh, echelon insights this uh, chamber of commerce and there's another one and they show democrats leading on the generic ballot by 2 to 5 points the generic ballot being the question will you vote for a democrat or republican if the election were held today um Harry Anton, again, our friend at CNN, he was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago talking about this. He said, you know, um, that don't 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 believe the hype like don't Biden's approval number is what matters. Going back in history, we see that Biden's approval number is all that matters. And uh, if it's not there now, it'll be there in September. So unless there's a huge turnaround in Biden's numbers. You have to expect that the democratic fortunes are going to sink as the fall progresses um but maybe not again maybe we're in an entirely new atmosphere and and life is uh
1: life is uh nuts or maybe not (laughs) i mean there are likelier outcomes than uh and unlikelier outcomes yes this is all weird, This is it's difficult to assess what the political environment is at the moment. However, the likeliest outcome is that the incumbent president runs. The second likeliest outcome is that his vice president succeeds him. And the third most likely outcome is Republicans retake at least one or both chambers of Congress, given that this is still a referendum on Democrats' unified control of government. These are the likeliest outcomes. We can get deep in the weeds about prospects that are that would be unprecedented, but we still have likelier than than unlikely outcomes.
3: Um, I think you could throw Biden being primaried into the likely outcomes. He will certainly
0: be primaried. I mean, let me put it this way. He will certainly be primary. No primary challenge has succeeded against sitting president. I mean, Teddy Kennedy got. 11 states in 1980, it was pretty impressive, but no, no one has ever unseated a sitting president from a primary, you don't do it in order to beat him, you do it to drive him out, right? That was Johnson in 68, McCarthy softened the, you know, the ground, one in New Hampshire, uh, Johnson says he's not gonna run for a second term, Bobby Kennedy gets in and so does Humphrey, and then we're off to the races and that that's, that's that was a you know that was before the modern primary system but you know Johnson didn't run again Harry Truman didn't run I mean he won one election he was president uh because uh Roosevelt died then he won one he could have run in 52 he chose not to run in 52 presidents do decide not to run when they think they're going to lose i mean there is there you know it hasn't happened Hasn't happened in, you know, your lifetime, but it happened in mine. I was seven in 1968, so it happened in mine, and and that's a long time ago, but it's not, you know, it's not 200 years ago. And, again, you do it just as an insurance policy. Now, you don't really have to do it that way anymore, if you think about it, because... People can raise $100 million in a weekend and you could get if, you know, again, if something happened, Biden goes up uh, in some fashion, someone else can jump in the race and raise a ton of money and go go right at him. But uh, I I don't think the likeliest outcome is that Biden runs uncontested for president in 2024 unless there is a sharp turnaround in his fortunes, which there could be. Um, I don't understand how. Although, again, you know, things happen. The news this morning is that uh, there, there are certain leading indicators about the GDP numbers that have caused a couple of banks, I think Goldman Sachs, to say it's really not going to be as bad as we were. If the recession's not here. We don't think the recession is here based on some of these numbers that they look at that I don't even understand what, what they are. So, you know, Biden could, be, it could get off lucky in that there won't be a recession declared, and Democrats will get off lucky that there's not a recession declared. Um, but uh, I, I just uh, well, I, yeah. but
3: there's a long time for a recession to be declared between now and 2024. So, well, that's that lucky uh, now, it doesn't, yeah.
2: That well, is and, and the Biden and the Biden administration is in a slight you know flop sweat over recession which is why they're behind the scenes evidently briefing every reporter they can get there uh, to answer their calls saying oh let's not even start you know prognosticating about recession it's all going to be fine it's all going to be fine which is which is a signal that they obviously have this in 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 mind as a, another potential way to drive down their support well uh
0: Axios's uh, Punch Bowl, or
2: not Axios's
0: Punch Bowl, which is not Axios, I apologize, um, this morning uh, reports on a briefing, White House briefing of House members that really annoyed and enraged House members because they precisely were like blowing happy talk in their faces about about the state of the economy, they weren't engaging with them seriously and, and and weren't giving any guidance as to how they were supposed to talk favorably about the economy and about Biden, just lecturing them on it. Our friend, by the way, Michael Strain, no, you brought this up uh, yesterday, I think, which is that there is some question about where this idea came from that recessions equal two consecutive quarters of uh, negative growth that that there's no there's no agreed upon macroeconomic set of principles that says that this is how it should work. But Michael Strain went back and said, uh, what was the common factor in the 10 previous recessions that we've been through since World War Two, two quarters of negative economic, two consecutive quarters of negative economic There's a big
1: push on the right now to indict the press for for Repeating credulously this White House talking point that oh it's not too it's not two consecutive quarters of negative growth it's this complex cocktail of uh, of of metrics and there really is no hard and fast rule around it it's pretty much if you go back in the news reporting the AP which has been the focus of the right the right's frustrations but AP New York Times CNN uh, they do mostly acknowledge that this is a common understanding of what a recession is. Um, But it's not a a, fully comprehended a recession because in 2001, we had a recession, but no two consecutive negative quarters. And in 2020, we had, you know, what felt like a recession because it was an engineered economic collapse. But there were no two quarters. So no, 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 wait, wait,
0: wait, 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 you didn't hear what I said. Michael Strain, whom I trust, who was an economist at AI, said every official recession right over the last 20 years that counts as a recession was
1: preceded by two quarters of negative economic growth. Right. And there are other factors involved And the press has been relatively consistent by being inconsistent is that they didn't just change their minds all of a sudden decided to go with Biden's formulation.
3: Well, you know, what this reminds me a little bit of I'm not saying this is inevitably the way it's going to go, but when covid first started spreading everywhere, Like, is it a pandemic? Is this a pandemic? Well, a pandemic has to be this and has to be that. And then before it was officially declared a pandemic, we all knew it was a pandemic.
0: Right. Right. By the way, I got this wrong. Here's what Michael said. Michael said, out of the past 10 times, the U.S. economy has experienced two consecutive quarters of negative economic growth. How many times was a recession officially declared after the fact? Answer 10. So I, I did it backwards Every time there have been two consecutive quarters of negative economic growth, there has been a recession, 10 out of 10. There have been recessions that did not feature two quarters of negative economic growth. If that's the case, by the way, I don't know what the I don't know why the Biden administration is celebrating because. You know, you could still be in recession, even if there aren't two quarters of negative economic growth. And they had a one quarter of negative economic growth. Nonetheless, however you want to slice it, maybe it'll be better for them. And they they, they won't have this also hanging over their heads. And then they have this, you know, interesting fact that we have three polls showing Democrats in better shape in the, you know, uh, heading into the midterms on the generic ballot question, than you might otherwise have expected. However, it is also important to note that in 2014, when Republicans picked up um, uh, nine Senate seats, with, by the way, very good candidates. So um, I just want to, hold on a second. I just want to find this number. Um, It was the average was like 2%. I don't even think it was 2% at this moment. Hold on. Oh, now at this point, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, hold on. I'm going to tell you what it was. CBS News at the end of July had Democrats plus four. Fox had Democrats plus two. Rasmussen had Democrats plus two. CNN Opinion Research had Democrats plus four. So also a national, and Republicans generic- won nine Senate seats that year. Yeah. And they won They won seats in the House also, but there wasn't much for them to win because they had already won 63 seats in 2010.
1: So, much the same with the Senate. And the national generic ballot means precisely nothing because we're talking about contested districts, not the entire country.
0: Right, and the contested district ballot uh, poll that we saw last week, I think had Republicans up eight. That was in the 56 districts that are viewed as competitive or that are, you know, in which Biden, in which the Biden plus number is very low or they're competitive or something like that. So, um, I mean, I I, I'm very happy for Democrats that they have something happy to look, uh, look forward to uh, or look at and feel better about, you know, their prospects, but, you know, it might be delusional on the other hand, As I say, we are kind of in some weird uh, new reality that is uh, a little hard to make sense out of, I got to say. and But what's not hard to make sense out of is how you want to increase your productivity. And I'm going to tell you how with our new sponsor, ClickUp. Imagine having one extra day every week, more time... To read a good book, to binge watch a show about dragons, you know, I mean, there are going to be two of them coming up. You want that extra day a week so you can watch either House of the Dragon or Lord of the Rings, the Dragon of Power, or whatever the hell it is. Now that's possible with ClickUp, the productivity platform that'll save you one day a week on work guaranteed. ClickUp began with the premise that productivity was broken. Too many tools to keep track of. Too many things in entirely separate ecosystems. There had to be a more productive way to get through the daily hustle. ClickUp is the one tool to house all of your tasks, projects, goals, spreadsheets, and more. ClickUp is built for teams from 1 to 1,000 plus. It's packed with features and customization options that no other productivity tool has. So you can work the way you work best. Whether you're in product management, engineering, sales, marketing, or HR, ClickUp has easy-to-use solutions that create a more efficient work environment. Join the more than 800,000 highly productive teams using ClickUp today. Use code COMMENTARY to get 15% off ClickUp's massive unlimited plan for a year, meaning you can start reclaiming your time for under $5 a month. Sign up today at ClickUp.com and use code COMMENTARY. Hurry, this offer ends soon and as we look forward to this afternoon's fed meeting where interest rates are going to go up and we don't know how high and there's not only these this meeting but the meeting in September which our friend David Bonson informs me in his brilliant daily newsletter is the meeting to really watch for because they're probably going to go up 75 basis points today but who knows what they'll go up in September if that doesn't work I bring up David Bonson because, of course, when we're talking about understanding the workings of the economy, it is time for you to get David's book that I've been telling you about. There's no free lunch. 250 economic truths. Get it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you get your fine books. Economics, flourishing, liberty, human dignity, the power of work, and the power of ideas to improve our lives. One topic per day. Supported and ballasted by great quotes from great philosophers, economists, theologians, and thinkers, and an explanation of the concept in question. There are 250 of them, 250 economic truths. There's no free lunch. David Bonson of the Bonson Group with $3.5 billion under management knows wherever he speaks. We We are in these uncharted waters. Find a chart from David's book, There's No Free Lunch, 250 economic truths. Get it today where do we go from okay we had a little bit of a dispute on our on our uh, uh, text chat yesterday when the story came out from uh, Maggie Haberman and Luke Broadwater that um, there had been a uh, group there's a group of people led by Boris Epstein uh, the weird uh, Trump semi-media semi-lawyer semi-bullshitter all in all Stinker guy, uh, who was coordinating um, the response, the 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 response to how to challenge and contest the results of the election after the election, and that a lawyer in Phoenix uh, basically was dealing with another lawyer and said, "We got a great scheme to deal with quote fake elector, how we get the fake electors to do X, Y, or Z." And it was quote fake unquote electors and then later he said he used a different word
3: alternative alternative with a
0: with a smiley emoji and so uh immediately everyone said you see they knew the electors were fake they were fake and uh and so this proves that there was malice aforethought. they know they knew that they were fraudulently challenging and testing the results of the election everybody should go to jail on the planet earth who has an r after his name period that's It's all a conspiracy and they knew and they they didn't go on so i said i'm a little confused about this because he put the word fake in quotes and usually when you do that you're being ironic so he wasn't saying that the electors were fake he was saying that the mainstream media calls them fake but we don't we don't call them fake and noah noah disagreed with me and i'm moving
1: more toward his position, but no, explain to me why, why you disagreed with me. Well, first of all, this is, they're writing down what amounts to a criminal conspiracy alleging, allegedly by Democrats. And that's kind of crazy, but not if you're really stupid. Um, And it suggests that these people were just really stupid. First of all, the urgency around this project in late December, given January 6th's imminence um, makes it very strange that they would approach this topic ironically um, if they were, you know, just joking around. And I don't like, for example, this guy, Bruce Marks, uh, made a lot of repeated mistakes calling Cleta Mitchell, Clavita, uh, to quote Mr. Epstein, quote, do you mean Arizona when you say Nevada? Um, There wasn't I mean, there was a lot of carelessness involved in this conversation which is what how people who are engaged in criminal activities behave they're not smart criminals are dumb they behave foolishly writing down your plans to you subvert don't the election to be criminal
0: means, to behave foolishly right well criminal writing down may your behave plans to subvert but it the election. doesn't mean that being behaving foolishly means that you're criminal that's a that would be a an error a elementary error in logic there um It's also not clear that it's a criminal conspiracy that people are having a conversation about how to challenge or contest the results of an election. It's most certainly a conspiracy. They are conspiring. doesn't mean that it's criminal. It's not a conspiracy when five or six or seven people are having a conversation about how to do something. That something isn't illegal until it takes a form of legality. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, there may, this may be the precursor.
1: Well, the allegations put by Democrats and is in this report is that this was a conspiracy to violate the Electoral Count Act. Uh but it didn't. Ha- but it didn't happen. You can be. You can be convicted of a conspiracy, conspiracy of, with criminal intent that never materialized. I mean, okay.
0: None of these people. I mean, a couple of them were, I think. I mean, Mark Meadows it was in some the White House that was, was in the chain or something like that discussing it. But um, violating the Electoral Count Act. Uh, here's my point, which is that they can believe here. Okay, lawyers having conversations. About how to approach a case, right? Those conversations are usually privileged because they're lawyers, they're privileged conversations, and they're coming up with strategies. They want a result, right? They want to find their client innocent, or they want to, you know, whatever it is they want to do. And so they're like, well, we could try this, or we could try that, or we. We could try the elector strategy. You know what? John Eastman says, forget the elector strategy. We should just go with Pence invalidating the election. Uh, The fake elector strategy isn't really going to work or we, no one's taking us up on it. They needed governors to take them up on it to, uh, to, to uh, Republican governors who would, who would somehow credit the fake, the second set of electors. I don't, It's all so confusing, but my point is they're having these conversations about how to secure the result they want, which is that the election is challenged before Inauguration Day. Is that prima facie a a criminal conspiracy? To want the election results challenged?
1: I'm not sure. It's it's, It's not up to us to decide whether it's criminal. It is a conspiracy. By definition. No. And I'm, there are certain things that you as a lawyer can't really do, involving moral turpitude, for example, which is grounds for disbarment. Violating disbarment professional codes is of ethics. not
0: a criminal. That is a that is a Again, guild
1: drop the that criminal. Is, that
0: thing. is an infield that is an inside the field disciplinary measure about ethics in the in you know in, you know uh, in the bar. It's not it's not criminal. It doesn't matter. I think the whole point here is that uh, the entire apparatus around Trump was full of lunatics and clowns who were coming up with half-baked, ludicrous ideas that were going nowhere, and they were cosplaying a conspiracy. You know, they were. this was like the Catiline conspiracy, but they were cosplaying it because nobody was actually like doing the hard spade work clearly to get to plant the fake electors anywhere that's the funny part is they're all writing these emails to each other who was actually assembling the fake electors who was putting pressure on each governor to find? i mean there was like this thing where they were supposed to have an electoral slate in michigan that state senators or something like that could say they wanted the state to, you know, that was, the, they were the real electors. That, by the way, Michigan is a state that Biden won by 150,000 votes. So that was particularly ludicrous. But there was no way for that to happen because the state capitol was closed down uh, at the time that it was going to happen. So they were, this was kind of clownish behavior. And the only the only scheme that ended up getting anywhere, at least in White House terms, because of that meeting on January 4th, was the scheme to somehow pressure Pence into saying he wasn't going to accept the electoral ballots and and try to get somebody in the House or Senate to contest the validity of the ballots and thereby throw the election
2: there, okay. there, there are two other aspects to the criminal, uh, uh discussion that, that yesterday received a little more impetus. One, of course, is that Merrick Garland, Attorney General Merrick Garland, gave an interview where he said, no one's above the law, you know, well, without fear or favor, we're going to you know, just basically doing what any good AG should do, which is say, no one's above the law, we're looking into it. But the Washington Post published a story about just how deeply the Department of Justice is actually circling in on Trump and his immediate advisor group, you know, in terms of, you know, the kinds of the, a couple of Pence staffers who's who's who are have been asked to testify and lots more phone records that might kind of, you know, actually fill in these gaps about whether you could charge someone criminally, namely Donald Trump with any sort of conspiracy or or obstruction charges. So they are actually trying to build a case or looking to see if there's a case to be built. And those combined in some ways, I think, make the, the email story more interesting because it's just another piece in this larger puzzle about whether or not they will be able to bring criminal charges against Trump before another election.
0: I mean, it it has this weird quality, right? Well, obviously, we got this story that you mentioned that the DOJ was asking that the Justice Department investigation into January 6th, people were asking other people questions about Trump. I take it to mean that that was Mark Short, the former chief of staff to Vice President Pence, who is working on the pence for president campaign in 2024 and thus has a working interest in discrediting trump to the extent possible um but he said they're asking me questions about it and i'm a little so what clearly following along the lines of january 6th they are trying to figure out whether there is any way they can find a piece of evidence that connects Trump to saying i don't care whether the biden won the election i am going to do what i can well,
2: to overturn it or i want there to be a riot well, right. Two different charges he could get, right. right? One is seditious conspiracy and one is a conspiracy to obstruct the actual election, you know, being certified. Right. And both, right. I mean, we've gotten tantalizing hints from the January 6th committee, whose investigation is obviously very totally separate from what the DOJ has been looking at, that there's just been these, you know, hints here and there that there's some evidence of that, but they have to really prove before a grand jury that there's enough evidence on either of those two charges criminally to indict.
1: And witness tampering. Right.
2: Well, I mean,
0: there are any number of charges you could imagine. It is getting that one thing where somebody says Trump said to me, you know, send that armed crowd to the Capitol. That's that's what they need. And uh, I do have to say that the the wish casting that goes on on MSNBC and other places when Merrick Garland says this completely anodyne thing to Lester Holt about nobody being above the law, then it's like, ah, he's about to indict Trump. Really? It doesn't mean that. He's not going to indict Trump. You're not supposed to indict someone unless you have the goods. If he doesn't have the goods, he's not, and particularly in a controversial case, you do not indict on, you know, we know that people bring crappy cases that often fall apart. You don't want to do that.
2: Well, and Garland said this like would this. tear the country apart. I mean, he acknowledged that even, you know, even if this is something that that meets that bar going forward, which he is saying, yes, we would do because that's what you have to do. That's his job would tear the country apart. So he acknowledged that. I think pretty wish casting is not helping the cause of, of, you know, getting the American people on board with a potential future <laughs> indictment. So I don't know. I, I Abe,
0: what's wh- where, where what's your take on all this?
2: Well,
3: he's certainly I don't I don't think Carlin is you know at this point set set on in, indicting um, at all. Um, I don't know what happens down the line, but but I mean, one thing to consider is that what we've seen and heard from the from the January 6th committee, is one side I'm, I'm not saying this in defense of the other side I'm saying it in in terms of it co- complicating anything that would now happen legally um so it's not as if um the Justice Department is gonna be looking at an open and shut case you know they're they're they they have a, a there's they have a much broader view of of by necessity of what of what may or may not have happened there because they're because they're 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 weighing um. you know uh, uh, the sort of case against as it were as well
0: well I think that's a you know that's a good point and it's their it's their you know the weird thing is that their reputations will not be on the line with you know the mainstream media and everything if they indict and the and it all comes a cropper that would be a mistake. That would be like they heroically indicted Trump. You know, they did. They without fear or favor and they just blah, 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 blah. And OK, a jury, a corrupted jury found him innocent or whatever. That was still a noble thing, you know, that they did. So it might tear the country apart. But in terms of, you know, sort of like elite public opinion, uh, they would still receive support for their.
2: But they will have then feel uh, but 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 the, but the long term cost of that, that sort of sanctimonious feeling of do-gooderism is that they would have once again failed to, to pin something on Trump, who can once again run as I'm being martyred because the system is out to get me and he we know for a fact that voters would rally around that message because they've done it before, and there would be some pretty uh, more more recent evidence of that. I mean, he does that now about the 2020 election and people are sick of it? Um, but, you know, there's also I just want to add that there's another problem with the January 6th committee's messaging. I think Abe's right. Um, They've done so many things well, but there is a tendency that the sanctimony is really sort of ramped up in recent weeks in a way that I think is unhelpful in terms of what they're trying to do. And they're even getting pushback now from some fellow Democrats about sort of emphasizing how they're there to save democracy and Democrats in particular, the party that saves democracy. And, you know, as we've said many times, and this is becoming kind of a hobby horse. Of mine, but you know the Democratic Party apparatus is supporting extreme MAGA candidates who are election deniers. They're now doing that against Peter Meyer, in particular, who uh, with people who who were Trump opponents, Republicans who actually voted to impeach Trump, are now under attack, being being in primaries by people funded by the Democratic Party's apparatus to have an easier crazy candidate run against the Democrat um, after the primary. So that actually is starting to drive even some. Principal Democrats crazy. It's like, wait a minute, we can't be the saviors of democracy at the same time that we're propping up these candidates. It's a little bit worse than politics as usual, which I know is the sort of cynical response. And I sent you guys this on our text thread this morning, the fact that Jamie Raskin, when asked this question directly by Axios, started uh resorted to quoting Sartre to explain his party's use of this tactic was I think didn't send the message he thought it was sending okay I need to uh, I need to read uh, the what Jamie Raskin said
0: okay um in the real world of politics one can also see an argument that if the pro-insurrectionist election denier wing of the Republican caucus is already dominant then it might be worth it to take a small risk. That another one of those people would be elected in return for dramatically increasing the chances that the Democrats will be able to hold the House against the pro-insurrectionist election denying GOP majority. Jean-Paul Sartre said that in politics, we all have dirty hands up to our elbows. Yes, you know, au go Sartre and Camus, they sat with Del Jitan talking about uh, how we have uh we are ball- uh, dirty elbows like loving stalin for example is a my elbows are so dirty that i love stalin so does you know i mean jamie raskin should watch whom he's quoting um aside from being pretentious you know uh sartre was a collaborationist stalinist so um let's not let's not go there uh I agree with you about the sanctimony though. The last two or three uh the last 15 minutes of the last Thursday's hearing, where people that I admire, Liz Cheney, whom I admire, Adam Kinzinger, whom I admire, and 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 um uh why am I forgetting her first name? Luria, Elaine Luria, whom I admire. You know, they like got all up in our grill. Uh, you know about about the the moral stain, and you know, uh, you know, like leave me alone. You know what? Let me draw my own conclusions. You work for me. I'm, I didn't. You know, you work. You work for your. You work for your voters. You're not elected to be to preach to them. Let let a self governing citizenry make up their own minds about the fact pattern that you're trying to establish
3: Yep. here's the other bogus thing about about Raskin's statement if as he says if if the republican party is already in that in fully in the hands of, of uh, anti-democratic magamaniacs then you don't need to throw money behind those candidates right that's you're you're there you're they're already your opponents they're already going to win they you're boosting them you're you're making it <clears throat> excuse me you're making it happen so it's a complete ridiculous logically contradictory statement
0: look it's an end just it's an ends justify the means argument which everybody always resorts to when they want something they're really not supposed to want you know because procedurally they're doing something immoral it's like well it's not it's the higher morality that is what an ends justify the means argument is and whenever you see people going for it or like saying ah oh, you know or being c- cynical but at a higher form of cynicism but oh, it's also- not the crap this is politics we're all dirty in politics but, see, but we're think- dirty for we're dirty because we're trying to save this country that's That's the dirt that we're in that's
2: that's the part where the sanctimony actually that's where the layer i would have more respect if they were just like look politics is a is is a mess this is what we do look that was the argument trump made way back when i mean remember when he was president he would often say well well everybody does this i've got to do it too that i would have respect for in the sense that at least they were being honest but what they're saying is you have to allow us you have to trust us to use all these terrible tactics because we know what's best we know that that we are here to save democracy. I mean, the the other example I'll give is the Democratic Party is really pissed off now because Disney Plus or Disney and Hulu and some other streaming services are not going to allow politically controversial ads on either side to air on Hulu. Um, so this has infuriated Democrats who are now accusing Hulu of not allowing American you know Americans won't hear the important way Republicans are trying to strip them of their freedoms. Of course, they would not be arguing that if, it, if they had, you know, it's a it's a universal ban. It's like, we're just not going to get involved in this. this is not what we want our viewers to see. We're going to just stay out of it, which is kind of a wise approach. But this Blue's idea already
1: reversed itself.
2: Oh, did they really? Oh, mm-hmm. of course. Oh, geez. Okay, so that's gonna start a different battle. But the it's the sanctimony. I keep coming back to this. It's the sanctimony of it's like, just trust us, we know how to save democracy. It's like then you don't understand what democracy is. I know I'm getting all wound up, but democracy is sometimes people who you think are crazy and have terrible opinions winning. And you tolerate it because that's what a democracy is. It's a it's a little more hard scrabble. You don't democracy isn't ceding these decisions to an elite that thinks it knows best.
1: Okay. Democrats being hopelessly cynical and malicious and willfully destroying their brand doesn't exculpate anybody in Trump's orbit. These two thoughts. Can that's exist absolutely in the same right. Head. Yes, that's correct. I don't yeah. see how they're even related.
0: No, there is no, there is no exculpation. I mean, what, what went on after the November election in 2020 was egregious beyond belief. And anyone who defends it now is defending something from a dis- fundamentally dishonest basis, which is they want the election to have been wrongly, they want the outcome to have been wrong, and they will believe any piece of evidence, true or untrue that they can use to adduce the wrongness of the result. And Biden won exactly the way Trump won with narrow margins in three states
2: and suck it up. But that and but to Noah's point, I think he's right. I, I think what would have been what's frustrating to me about the sanctimonious aspects of a lot of the, the January 6th stuff is just that. I think it's powerful enough to prove exactly what he did and the people around him tried to do and how close we came to a system uh, exposing our system's vulnerabilities. And the argument should be, let's fix those vulnerabilities. Let's let's make sure with things like the electoral count, all this stuff that's now going on in Congress, let's do all that. Where I start to become suspicious and concerned is when people in power say, we are going to save the system because we're in control of it and we know what's best. It's that tone and actually that use of power that starts to become, I think what it does Is It turns off people who might honestly want to understand one way or the other, whether they should blame Trump and his allies for what happened or whether and whether he's criminally responsible. So when the whole arguments tone is we the Democrats are really the only true people who will save democracy. That taints the entire other side. And I don't think that's fair. I don't think the fact that people who actually voted to impeach Trump are now being might lose a primary to crazy MAGA election deniers because they got propped up with hundreds of millions of dollars from the Democrats. So that's where I think you're right, Noah, that message is actually the most powerful one. And and it doesn't excuse Trump. And Pete, I think a lot of people will find a way to excuse Trump if they if they really reacting to the sanctimony.
1: Pete Mayer, who is being one of the many who who is being targeted here by these slick Democratic ads. Sorry, are, I mispronounced to, his
2: name earlier. They talk sorry. to his
1: opponent that they, they talk up the opponent as being, a, you know, he's too conservative for the state of Michigan. He supports Trump too much. And these are ads running in a primary. And that's that's the strategy. So he says. <laughs> in no uncertain terms, quote, I'm sick and tired of hearing the sanctimonious bullshit about how the Democrats are the pro-democracy party. Um, here's a guy who can hold two thoughts in his head at the same time and voted to impeach Trump, would have done it again, regrets nothing, defends it, but also understands that Democrats are being sanctimonious liars. Um, these two things coexist. <laughs> in, in our, and they, It's the reality we live in, so we better wrap our heads around it uh
0: speaking of election deniers Stacey abrams uh who uh claims to be the you know rightful uh, governor of georgia who was running uh for a you know a second time to unseat brian kemp who beat her by fifty thousand votes in 2018 polling has just come out showing kemp relatively comfortably ahead i mean it's not runaway, away but he's now he's he's been consistently ahead by five points he's close to 50 she's in the low 40s and one of the reasons to credit this poll for its seriousness is that uh it shows that herschel walker the republican candidate for senate is running three points behind the sitting senator Raphael warnock um so obviously this polling is not showing some kind of a partisan bias in either direction. It's showing a result in which clearly Republicans, some 5%, well 5% out of 48 would be what? That's like 12% or something. It's, it's not 5%, like 12% of the people who would vote for Kemp among Republicans probably are not gonna vote for Walker. And so uh, uh, it will be interesting to see how Stacey Abrams deals with a second defeat. Does she acknowledge the defeat the second time, or does she claim yet again that she was somehow illegitimately robbed of a proper result? Um, I think a lot of Democrats are going to have difficulty accepting this the second time because they want to say that election results are fairly since of course the election results in Georgia in 2020 were all entirely fair, right? They showed Trump lost, therefore they were good. And then they showed Warnock and John Ossoff won. So those were good too. So that's where sometimes both sides does have a honest place in a conversation. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. For Abe, Noah, and Christina, I'm John Keep the candle burning.